I think we just gotta stop and just go. <sighs> Alright. What is this about? I don't know if we can... Oh, hello. I don't know if we can... Um, we do got it. This is being recorded. Uh, I, I don't know if we could throw this live for a minute and go in in like one or two words. What does Easter mean to a few of us? What what does it mean? Like, you know, oh, Lisa says family time. Just throwing that out from here. That's a good one. Anybody else got anything? You're going to have to use the mic, otherwise I won't hear you. Yeah, we got a mic here. Nice. Oh, Ben will have something for sure. Just give it to him. That's a good idea. <laughs> Easter. I know. We. I know. This takes a little bit of getting the engines turning. This is. This is the point. I'm. We, we gotta. We gotta wake up to the celebration of Easter for a minute here. I think. What is it? What. What do we. What do we grab? First things that come to mind. Easter. Um. I'd say two words for me are remembering and celebrating. Um, they're two words that the kids are learning about today around the Easter story, like why do we focus on a day and we're talking about the words um, remembering and celebrating and that came from my heart on what, you know, I felt like Easter was to me and so, yeah, I think there's yeah. a lot that is easy to forget about the story that happened about the man of Jesus and what he did for us and who he is, so I think remembering is... A, a massive part of Easter, remembering the the truth of the story yeah. of Jesus. Gee, I really like that. I really like that, Ali. I think uh, I think actually maybe just pull up a stool. Maybe we'll just turn this over to you for the morning since you've had a chance to cheat right. and you've pre-prepared for the children. So I think maybe we'll just toss it to you. Let you take this over. That sounds good. Remembering and celebrating. I love that. That is exactly what this is about. That's so good, Ali. I love that that's what the kids are talking about today remembering who Jesus is and celebrating what he did. That's so cool. Yeah, anybody else? That That's cheating straight out of the gates, by the way, because pre-prep work. Oh, well, because you did the pre-prep work. <laughs> <laughs> what else? What comes to mind when we think about Easter? That's a great answer. Well, when I was talking to my boys this morning, <laughs> we were chatting about the significance of obedience and grace and I feel like they sort of are hand in hand for the Easter story it's like one thing to you know ask you know be asked to do something really hard in life but the obedience to get up on a cross and actually follow through with with something so extreme um because of having so much grace for his children I think it was just such a beautiful beautiful thing and yeah, so oh. we were chatting about those two sort of words. Wow. That's a cool thought. Yeah, obedience and just the courage to see it through. That's really cool. I like that. Anybody else? Any other thoughts that come to mind when we think about Easter? Oh, hold on, Greg. I'll turn our mic live. Greg's got one for us. Hang on. Oh, oh, oh. We have the technology. Go again, Greg. I was just saying, there's nothing that Jesus can't overcome. He even overcame good. Yeah. Anything we find ourselves in, he's overcoming. There's nothing too big for him. Mm. Mm. Nothing too big for him. 
the sacrifice the ultimate sacrifice but and the um having the the strength to overcome anything mm. uh yeah mm. the sacrifice or what is most important it's a big thought it's a big thought with easter isn't it just i don't know it's almost in a sense like the notion of the sacrifice I mean, it kind of becomes a story that's almost hard to emotionally connect with, isn't it? Like, it's kind of too big, almost. Like, we can just kind of, like, leave it sitting, like, just out of reach, because it's like, I don't know. It's easier to picture it as a story than a, a real thing, I think. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Hmm. Oh, hold on. Lisa's saying something now. We're just talking to me, like we can all hear, so. I should have left it on, on this other camera. All right, go, Lisa. So, you said something the other day that really um, caught my attention. Um, I, I don't know if it was much Jesus trusted his father or his mother mm. trusted his son. I can't remember what way you said it, but I was just like, oh, man. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You're both, really, right? Really, like that the father trusted that the son wouldn't lose the perspective of who he is in asking him to go through this and that Jesus trusted that the father would have his best in it even if this was what it cost that's a crazy thought isn't it mm. something that I think about is um I guess because I'm always thinking oh well like God died on Jesus died on the cross for me um, God sent down his only son to make that sacrifice so that I'm forgiven, so my sins are forgiven. But on Easter, I think about more than nitty gritties, I guess, which is confronting. <laughs> but, um, you know, I guess there's no other day that sort of brings it to life than Easter. Because I'm like, well, what did he actually go, f go through for me? That's something I think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool, I This sort of came from a bit of reading that I did today, but it really struck me. It's like, you know, on Friday, a day which Jesus followers thought was possibly the worst day ever. You know, he's, you know, they're having to watch Jesus go through everything he went through and they did not understand what was going on. What he said was going to happen, they didn't understand that. But then three days later, you know, Jesus did just the unbelievable and came back to life. But now the Friday is called Good Friday, even though it was mm. such a horrible, terrible day. And just the hope that brings to us when we're going through the most terrible times that we can't understand and they seem really dark and we just can't find meaning in it like the disciples couldn't. You know, we can trust that God's going to bring that round to be something mm. good, not that every you know, in his hands, even the hardest times, you know, can be brought into something beautiful. Yeah, that just really struck me. That isn't my own. I read that, but I, it really struck me this morning. Yeah. This beautiful end. Yeah. Yeah, there's just, yeah, there's just so much in this. There's just so many layers to this story, isn't there? It's sort of like, you know, we could sit here for days on end talking about the significance that it has as an example to us, as a accomplishment for us and yeah ben you got one are you just holding the mic for i'm just i'm just holding the mic but uh 
Yeah, I think. Uh, well, well, my first words I thought of Brad were Jets win, Flames lost, but uh, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Um, but 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 I mean, it did happen today, so it is Easter. But, um, yeah, I just had to throw that. I just see a little bit of pain Janessa, in your face. That helps. Janessa, I'm so sorry that you come home to this every day. I only have to face it in this just particular moment. You chose this man and live with him. <laughs> I got you back. I got you back. Yeah. Which hurt more? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, maybe it's just because of the study, but uh, the, the words I was thinking of was example. You know, it's like he's this imitatable example of, uh, you know, a life laid down mm. for what the father wants. And, you know, it's like mm. we read about, you know, he's in the garden praying like, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And so, um mm. yeah i just really appreciate that and i think the other the other word i was just thinking of is just love you know there's no greater love than this than laying one's life down for a friend and that's what he did for us well i guess we about summed it up so about about take care of our easter message so i guess we can get on with the hot cross buns or whatever's happening next now it's it's true. It's like, even this is helping, isn't it? You know, it's like, yeah, this is, this is the story, not, not just that has occurred, but this is the story that we find ourselves in, you know, and, and Easter is our opportunity to pull to mind and recall and be refreshed and be reminded of the, of the significance of what has been accomplished and then what is being accomplished. You know, and I guess, I guess as I was reflecting this week, just on, maybe maybe what god's doing in my own heart mostly uh to 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 be clear uh but also what i feel is a relatable um notion is 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 i think we are all searching for satisfaction in some way shape or form and i i think we are pretty uh we can be i can be let me just personalize it i won't judge you i'll just i'll just confess I can be a very poor selector of what I believe will be satisfying. Or or maybe put another way, I can pick up a lot of false promise of of what would be satisfying. And I I don't know what it what it would be for for you, maybe uh you know, what what are the things, you know, could be the the dinner that we're about to have, it could be the next drink that we're going to get our hands on it could be friends that we wish we were hanging out with it could be a holiday it could be success it could be uh you know honestly it could be spiritual breakthrough or it could be um you know feeling like you know whatever it might be what is it that's going to satisfy what is it that's going to satisfy and in this in this season as of late i feel really confronted with an external pursuit of satisfaction versus an internal pursuit of satisfaction and I think for me, as I consider the Easter story and even some of the things that have been mentioned here already, you know, the the enormity of the sacrifice that Jesus went through, the trust that he had in the Father, the confidence that he had that this was a purpose that that he needed to to walk out, I think he must have found such an enormous source of satisfaction internally. He must have been so completely satisfied that no matter what the circumstance he found in, he could operate with courage and confidence and be himself. You know, and I think about this story and I think about, uh, 
you know, as Angie was sharing, you know, kind of the arc of uh, the Friday to the to the Sunday. And of course, today's the day that we celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen, that he overcame death. And and the first thing that he did when he got his crew together, because I mean, I mean, let's we'll just refresh on this story briefly. You know, Jesus, Jesus, a week, a week prior comes into Jerusalem for the Passover celebrations. And so he's got the whole fam together. Everybody's with him, the disciples, all the crew, everybody's rolled in. This is the big, this is the biggest of bigs. And so he's rolled into Jerusalem and he's, and he's, and he's speaking, he's being himself. He's, you know, he rode in on the donkey. We know, we know the story and, uh, or, or maybe we don't, doesn't matter, but comes into Jerusalem, makes an entrance, uh, you know, and, um, and, and he begins teaching over the course of this week again, as he does. And, and he's, you know, the, the, the sentiment toward him has been building for a long time amongst the Jewish leaders. And, and they start to advocate for, for Jesus to be stopped essentially. And in the process of that, uh, you know, we have the, the last supper, everybody gathered, takes the cup, takes the bread. The very first time that, communions ever introduced he says this is my blood this is my body i'm not going to partake with these things again until i'm in heaven these are the things he's saying he goes on from there you know says you're gonna deny me we got the things that go on beyond that they move on they go to the garden the garden of gethsemane he's uh, arrested goes goes through the trial with Pilate. he's beaten he's flogged he's you know Pilate tries to wriggle out of it can't get out of uh you know uh, throws it to the people who do you want you, you know Give us Barabbas, free Barabbas. Uh, Jesus is condemned. He's beaten. He hauls the cross up the hill. Crown of thorns. He's hung on the cross. Uh, quotes Psalm 22, which, you know, if you haven't had a chance to go and read that and connect that to the crucifixion story, essentially Psalm 22 is written by David hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of years earlier. And uh, one of the traditions, because books weren't printed at the time, was to quote the first line of the scripture, and then everyone would recite it with you, and it refreshed people's mind. And he quotes the first line, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is the first line of Psalm 22, which goes on to prophesy everything that occurs in the crucifixion scene, uh, which is incredible. You know, a story that God knew was coming, something that he purposed for his son uh, long before he had come to earth. And yeah, it dies a horrific death, is taken off the cross, is put in the tomb. Domes rolled over because they had heard this rumor that he was going to come back to life. Then three days later, here it comes back. Earthquake, stones removed, angels sitting there. What's up? Jesus is gone, runs to get the Peter and John. They come back. Whoa, what's happened? And so then let's pick it up. You know, the first thing that Jesus does when he gets the crew all back together, they go lock themselves in a room. Uh, bar up the doors because they're all scared something's going to go wrong because now everybody knows the body's gone missing and the Jewish leaders are starting to lies. They're starting to, they've paid the soldiers off to go and lie to all the people and say that, oh, someone came and stole the body while we were sleeping overnight. And so they're worried though, what, what's going to happen? And we pick this up in this verse in John chapter 20, verse 19 and 22. And when it says on the same day, this verse refers to the same day, the same day that the stone was rolled away, that the angel appeared, that the disciples had gone and found that he was not there. And he had appeared to them there and said, don't worry about it. It's all going to be good. I haven't been back to the Father yet. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Hang on. It's not all finished. But he goes and he says, when it, when it was evening on the same day, the first day of the week, 
Though the disciples were meeting behind barred doors for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace to you. After he said this, he showed him there his hands and his side. And when the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with great joy. And then Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me. I also send you as my representatives. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Just picture this. This was what he had done. The first time he's got his crew back together, he goes, hey, don't be afraid. Peace, peace, peace. As the Father sent me here into this place to walk this road, to do these things, so I am sending you. Receive my spirit. Oh. Receive from me the ultimate source. Receive from me the very gift of life from which I've drawn upon in all of my days here. Receive from me every act of wisdom, every plan of God. Receive from me the life-giving force. This is why he's done it. This is why. So that he could breathe upon those he loved, the very life from which he had been living, the very connection to the Father that he'd come to know. This is why he did it. He said before he did it, he said, you know, hang on, hang on. You wish I wouldn't go, but this is going to be the best thing for you because you're going to get an upgrade in my going. I'm going to connect you to the heart of the Father by the Spirit of God that I'm going to impart to you. And he's coming. He's going to teach you everything. He's going to show you everything. He's going to lead you into every good thing. And he's going to remind you of all the stuff that I've done. You know, as I think about this in, in the place that I find myself at the moment, pursuing satisfaction in such unsatisfying places, I am finding myself finally coming to the realization that what satisfies me is the presence of God with me. I, I know it sounds so cheesy. I know it sounds so simple. I know it sounds so Christian to say, but it's like, you know, I was sitting out in the sun on my chair spending some time with Jesus, I just got so overwhelmed because I felt so sorry for how often I go somewhere else because I felt rising within my spirit, such a deep sense of joy and satisfaction that he's with me, that there's no moment in my existence that he hasn't cared for the place I find myself or what I face or where I am that he hasn't stopped giving me power and provision and opportunity, that the very life of Christ is within me. And when I go there, it is so satisfying. So satisfying. Why am I still an externally focused pursuer? Easter was the release to us of the love of the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to go, let my life Enter yours. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. I think we're looking to the wrong things to satisfy. And, uh, you know, that this was the beginning of our new life in Christ. Easter. This impartation of the life of Christ into those who he had been doing life with. And as it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For indeed... Christ died for sins once for all, the just and righteous for the unjust and unrighteous, the innocent for the guilty, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, 
but made alive in the spirit. This is the, this is the, this, the story of the crucifixion leading to the resurrection, that the, the life of the flesh has been brought to death and that the life of the spirit has been made alive. That is our new life. But why do we keep going to the flesh to find life? Why do we keep going to the things of, why do I keep going to the things of this world like they are going to be life-giving? And look, I'm not saying, you know, we need to live some life of monks. I'm just saying, what am I pursuing? What have I set my gaze upon? What have I set my intent upon? What do I believe is going to be life-giving? And 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 this is this is our story that that as Christ was crucified and died that new life came and he was resurrected. This is our story, that this life of the flesh is to be brought to a death and that this new life in the spirit is to be brought forward. This is our reminder that we too are called to, to this life. And what what does this satisfaction look like? I mean, Paul, I think, you know, I you know, if I was guilty of overusing, you know, certain passages, this could be one of them, but let's do it anyway. He says in Philippians 3, verse 7 to 11, this is Paul's rant, you know, maybe a bit like I'm saying, you know, sitting in the chair and just finding something so deeply satisfying in the presence of God with me. Uh, he, he puts it this way. He says, but whatever former things were gains to me, as I thought then, these things once regarded as advancements in merit, I've come to consider as lost, absolutely worthless. For the sake of Christ and the purpose which he has given my life. But more than that, I count everything as lost compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled. For his sake, I have lost everything, and I consider it all garbage that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, believing and relying on him not having any righteousness of my own derived from my obedience to the law and its rituals, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, and this so that I may know him, experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely, and in that same way experience the power of his resurrection which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to death, dying as he did, so that I may attain to the resurrection that will raise me from the dead. He didn't do this because he had to. He found something worth focusing on, worth rolling his all into. This is, this is what he's saying. You know, and this is the revelation that's landing for me at, at a deeper level in my own life. It's like, this is it. You know, John Eldridge, I think, uh, is a, an author and a speaker. And I've been tracking with his podcast and uh, for a while. And, and I feel like he puts this so well in the pause reflection. You know, he does this in his book, um, Resilience. Is, yeah, Resilience or Resilient. I think it's called. Uh, he he put together these thirty days to resilience in 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 the pause app. I I think some of you have tracked this down. But on day twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight, kind of near the end, he turns this corner, and he goes, 
uh, the deepest, most intimate, and most profound connection to Jesus is found when we have willingly given up everything that we might take hold of him. As though nothing could be lost because I've given up everything that I might just have him. I mean, those words play so nicely. They play so nicely, right? But it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, how, how many, how, how often do we live our faith so that we can get the things of the world? Oh, well, we'll do the right thing in hopes to get the good thing. Or we'll seek after God so hopefully I can get what I really want. And it's like, man, I think Easter is a moment to come back and go resurrection life is the greatest gift we could be afforded. And it comes with a letting go and a laying down. You know, we are called to follow in the path of Jesus to let go of our lives that we might take hold of resurrection. And unfortunately, it's a little more complicated for us in a sense. I mean, I'm not looking for the cross. I'm not, I'm in the physical sense, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not hoping for that. Uh, but in some sense, the finality of that decision being presented in the garden with the option. I, I mean, but I guess aren't we presented with the option? You know, but we are still so focused on us. I am still so focused on a self-serving faith. But if he could have my life, he would be my everything. I know that to be true. Like Paul has described here. In John, I'm going to bring this into land. But in John, in John chapter 4, verse 31 to 34. Ah. Uh, Jesus describes it this way. He says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to have a meal. You know, he'd been ministering and been teaching and doing all these things and was, you know, possibly not have eaten for days. Uh, urging Jesus to have a meal, saying, Rabbi, teacher, eat. Usually when people encourage me in that sense, it's the, yes, sir. But he says, but he told them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, who brought him snacks? Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to completely finish his work. You know, and it's like what, what I hear him saying here is my complete satisfaction is found in doing the will of God and in completing that which he has intended for me. He's like, that is my satisfaction. That is my sustenance. That is what I'm about. That is what I'm pursuing, that this life would be his, that this life would accomplish that which the Father has intended it to. I mean, you know, maybe in the middle of laying our lives down, we find a greater satisfaction. You know, I'm, I'm suggesting that in my own self-centered pursuit, I find much more satisfaction in the presence of Jesus than I do in a new something or a tasty something, you know, and okay, well, let's start there. If it's about self-centered satisfaction, you know, and, and, and that's not a bad place to start. Find ourselves satisfied in him and you can only just get so full. And all of a sudden you're like, what can I do with all this? There's an abundance of goodness 
God, is there a purpose that you're pouring this goodness out upon my life? Is there something that you've intended for this to be about? And now we're upgrading our sense of satisfaction because now we're being introduced to an outflow of that which he's done to infill. And it's like now the greatest satisfaction is found in accomplishing that which has been purposed for me to accomplish by the God who gave me breath. In 1 Peter 4, verse 1 to 2, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, this is the story we're here to talk about, and died for us, arm yourselves like warriors with the same purpose, being willing to suffer for doing what is right and pleasing to God. Because whoever has suffered in the flesh, being like-minded with Christ, is done with intentional sin, having stopped pleasing the world that he can no longer spend the rest of his natural life living for human appetites and desires, but lives for the will and purpose of God. We, too, are called to, to make our satisfaction the purpose and will of God, to arm ourselves with this same purpose, presenting ourselves to the things in which God has breathed life into us for, as he does. And this isn't a, an act of denial. You know, God, God keeps saying that to me. He keeps saying this is not an act of denial. This is this is a, you know, have you ever like, I, I, I don't know what to liken it to. Uh I mean, I mean, I sort of I, I sort of do, I suppose, you know, that I, I went through this process where where people started introducing me to wine. You know, and when you start drinking wine, I mean, I can remember the first wine I had, I thought it was putrid, to be perfectly honest. I thought, oh geez, this is gonna take some effort. Uh, but you know, then you get a bit of a taste for it and you know, the, the $10 wines taste pretty good when you get started. And then, you know, maybe somebody brings over a $15 bottle and then someone brings over a $20 bottle and all of a sudden somebody jumps you up and it's Christmas and there's a $40 bottle and you're like, Whoa, that's, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you know, it's like once you've tasted a, a greater thing, you lose your taste for the lesser thing. And what I think this is, is about finding a taste for something more satisfying and, and losing an appetite. You know, this 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 is thing. He can no longer spend the rest of his life living for human appetites and desires. It's because we've tasted something better. It's not because we're trying to deny. It's because we've tasted something better that satisfies. I don't want the $10 bottle anymore. I don't want what this world has to offer because I'm tasting with the new life of Christ and what that offers to me. And from that, everything's changing. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I don't think this is about a moment of coming and saying, all right, I've lost everything for your sake. That's the deal. I'm going all in on this. I think it's about asking the question, are we finding something in our relationship with God that is increasing our appetite for that which only his spirit can offer. And are we losing slowly our taste for the things of the world as we do? And then what is it to acknowledge that today and go, I too want to join Christ in this story and receive a greater portion of a resurrection life that I might too find myself in this place of finding my greatest satisfaction in living out the will and purpose of God. And that doesn't have to be easy, and it doesn't have to come simple, and it doesn't have to be the smooth path that's all full of ease. Actually, this can be hard, because I find myself full of something so good, it doesn't matter how challenging it is, I want to complete it. I think from within, 
when we shift our focus from an external pursuit and we begin to move our our view internal and begin to pursue a greater satisfaction and a greater source, we find something so rich of this resurrection story right here in me. I, I just want to take you back to that picture in that in that first verse. When Jesus said to them, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I also send you as my representatives. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I feel like there's no greater way for us to celebrate Easter today than to stand together and say, thank you, Jesus, that we are those who have received your spirit. We confess we have a taste of it. Would you pour out your spirit upon us that we would gain an appetite for you that causes us to lose every taste for what this world has to offer? And would you well up a passion within us that says there is no greater purpose than to see the will of the Father accomplished through my life in these days? Amen. Well, let's take a minute to chat about it. This idea of... Uh, of a resurrection coming about in us, a spirit breathed into us that is the most satisfying source and a purpose that's being given to your life that will bring a greater satisfaction than anything could. Let's chat about it. Can we touch it? Can we feel it? Have we tasted parts of that? What about this idea of this internal pursuit of him being far more satisfying than an external pursuit of the world, yet somehow we still wrestle it? And so, yeah. All right, well, let's jump into some groups, have a chat about this. I'll, uh, we'll be back to taking you together and stuff. Let's say goodbye. Love you. So grateful to be on the journey with people passionate about a spirit full of life. All right, breaking into some groups of four or five or whatever Curtis tells you to do there. Yeah, love you. Happy Easter. <laughs>